0: Binkley here with Monica Press. Today, we're going to take a look at some of the thinking behind the activism that's going on in this country by looking at one of the ways that they planned a protest that you're going to be very familiar with. And then we're going to talk about some of our favorite stories of the week. Monica, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm good. Getting used to this new setup, learning it. <laughs> but this
1: isn't the permanent one, right? This might not be as, quite as perfect as the last
0: sound no
1: or is no this-
0: definitely not the permanent one we've already okay. had to take a little bit of a detour but <laughs> okay
1: we're tweaking it we're gonna get it we're, gonna, <laughs> we're reaching for perfection
0: we will get there so i found a really interesting article the other day on the women's march website the women's march which is closely associated with indivisible and all the other groups that have been leading the resistance activism across the nation and i want to go through this article because it kind of lifts the veil and uh, gives you a peek behind the scenes of how the Kavanaugh protests were organized. And they were very much planned and, and on the way long before Blasey Ford ever came into the picture. I'm just going to go through it. Stop me when you hear something that you want to comment on. And okay. I'll stop when I want to make a comment as well. The article is titled Inside the Mass Movement Against Brett Kavanaugh.
1: Okay. Now, what's the date of this?
0: This article was written in October of 2018. Right. Okay. Yeah. But it's very relevant right now, especially because of the Biden accusations and hashtag me too. And it just really illustrates some of the planning that actually goes into these protests. They're not just thrown together. People listening to our show know that. But this article is very telling, in my opinion. Progressive groups have organized rallies and vigils in Washington, D.C., around the United States, opposing the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. But two groups, the Women's March and the Center for Popular Democracy Action, have used more aggressive tactics, culminating with Anne-Marie Archilla confronting Senator Jeff Flake in an elevator on live television. A lot of people probably remember that. Do you remember that incident?
1: I don't. Live television, that's unusual. She was in
0: an elevator, and she was, like, screaming stuff at she him. She was in remember. the
1: elevator with a live crew?
0: It was probably live stream from somebody's phone.
1: Oh, okay, okay, okay.
0: The article goes on to say, that moment which helped prompt Flake to pause the nomination process to allow a one-week FBI investigation was the result of months of work. According to Women's March co-founder Linda Sarsour, the two groups started working closely to plan the protest of Trump's so-called zero-tolerance immigration policy back in June, bringing several thousands of women together to the Hart Senate office building in Washington, D.C. And this is an interesting part to me. The intention around that first action was we wanted to take white women from this idea of marching to more high-impact direct action, Sarsor said in an interview with Rewire News. That's interesting to me because I, we've talked about that a lot. That is the Leninist protest tactic of you get people psychologically committed to doing more and more aggressive acts. Before, they were just marching, but specifically, she wanted to get white women screaming in people's faces so that they would be willing to do more and more.
1: Funny that she's uh... – distinguishing people by race
0: she always like
1: does. targeting people she's manipulating people based on their race
0: yeah the article says plans to protest kavanaugh began back in july and they began running actions immediately after kavanaugh was announced for the nominee we knew that kavanaugh was coming in to meet with the senators around his confirmation so our first action was actually bird dogging And we got about 70 folks to participate in civil disobedience that day and got his meetings pushed back and canceled that day. Bird dogging is a term used by activists to describe a planned confrontation with an elected or government official, such as the elevator confrontation with Flake. There's a process to successful bird dogging, Gordon says. It's having someone who you can find their schedule of like an elected official that you're trying to reach, then getting your friends or colleagues together, understanding their different tasks. So who's asking the questions, who's going to tell the stories, who's filming, just have a plan for when this person is spotted, and that's when you snap into action and just go for it. We've talked about this a lot with the individual, indivisible guide, their instructions. This is exactly what the guide describes in action. Everybody playing a role. They're assigning people parts to play to go get in people's faces.
1: Yeah. The, the missing. Link here for me is that it seems to me like the Kavanaugh protest, the Blasey Ford thing was like the Monica Lewinsky thing with Bill Clinton, where instead of talking about Whitewater or Vince Foster, everyone was talking about sex and that yeah. caught everybody's eye. So, and I would think that they would want, and I, and you and I both talked about this, that Kavanaugh was the one they wanted. And I would say, Not in the least because he was he participated with Ken Starr in the Monica Lewinsky distraction and suppressed the Vince Foster investigation. So it would be I wouldn't put it past these guys to have done this with the intention to backfire. And I wouldn't furthermore, I wouldn't put it past Flake to be in on it.
0: I agree completely with both of your points there. And she brings up Blasey Ford here in a moment. The group's first major salvo came came on September 4th, the day the Kavanaugh hearings began. Women in the gallery began speaking against the nomination while being dragged out of the hearing room by Capitol Police – At the time, I don't think the American people really understood the dire situation we were in with Kavanaugh, said Sarsour. The next thing you know, you watch women stand up, sharing their messages, getting dragged out by Capitol Police. So then all of a sudden, people are like, what's going on here? And then the media immediately reframed it. And it wasn't just about Brett Kavanaugh. It was about the women who were opposed to Brett Kavanaugh. Senator,
1: what? Who's saying
0: that? Are you saying that? Linda no.
1: Sarsour is saying that the media then started talking about the women opposed to Brett Kavanaugh? Yes. Okay, keep going.
0: Senator Ben Sass called the disruptions hysteria, a term with misogynistic roots.
1: Yes, yes, of course. I mean, that's the thing. It's like Rahm Emanuel saying Jesse Smollett had a whitewash of justice, which yeah. is not an expression. Right. <laughs> you know, right. they torture these expressions to make it look like they are using – They they haven't kicked the habit of using these sexist and racist expressions from a lifetime of addiction, and they had to, like, make it up clearly because it's not the way those expressions are used.
0: Yeah. Sarsour goes on to say, the right likes politicizing our movements. We are not politicizing (laughs) our movements. We are politicized, says Sarsour. I think women are inherently political, and that's the problem when they see women protesting, just the idea of protesting for them becomes, well, you have a political agenda because our bodies are inherently political. She talks like- hold on.
1: First of all, isn't protesting politicians in a legislative body by definition political? Is there any way for it not to be political?
0: I think what she's saying is that, yes, they don't need to tell us that we're politicizing it. Women and women's bodies are inherently political. Right.
1: But I I don't really think I even get that. Like it's only inherently political because everything is political then.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know,
1: everything human is then is political if that's how you're going to look at. And right, you know everything human. Men too.
0: Vladimir Lenin. That was that's one of the tactics for creating a mass organization through community organizing and activism is to politicize every corner of society so that everything can be divided along political lines. And Sarsour takes that similar philosophy. Thousands of hours of planning and preparation went into pulling off the protest against the man who could cast the deciding vote to overturn Roe versus Wade. Organizers slept on the sidewalk the night before the first hearing just to ensure they would be able to attend couple this of things,
1: fun. first of all, is that he already said he wasn't going to do that. Yeah. Not that you can count on anyone. John Roberts was single-handedly responsible for Obamacare, passing the <laughs> Supreme Court, uh, because he switched sides. And what people don't realize is the Roe versus Wade just says no state can ban abortion. But even if it were overturned, I mean, California isn't going to do away with it. Yeah. So I just, I mean, they, they it's obviously not what they care about. And frankly, of all people, he's probably the least likely to be the one to do that. And you're definitely going to get someone appointed by a Republican. You want to impeach Trump and then get Pence to appoint somebody? Yeah you know what i mean like it just their their protest makes no sense they and it only made sense to me to validate this guy as an enemy of the left which he definitely wasn't
0: and also grow the power of the organizers themselves who are are behind these movements just like
1: an excuse to make them get off the couch
0: yeah and those white women she talked about that were just marching before. They were on the couch before that, then they were marching. Now they have gotten in people's faces and they're shouting. So they're going to be willing to do something even more extreme than it right. the calls them to. Right. It's a radicalization process is what it is. Mm-hmm. And they'll use any
1: any subject to do it.
0: Exactly. We're gonna, and they'll use white guilt, <laughs> the white guilt of these women that she... Exploits all the time.
1: Oh, right. 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 Right.
0: This is Sarsour. What I would love for people to know is that this has required a lot of human resources, a lot of financial resources and a lot of commitment from people who are exhausted, said Sarsour. It's been really challenging. There's been a lot of tears, a lot of crying. The protest on the hill took a turn when Christine Blasey Ford's sexual assault allegation came to light. What changed when Dr. Ford came forward is that it became a lot more personal. This is Sarsour. First, you're like organizing as an activist and an organizer, and you have this tunnel vision. Like there's a campaign that you have to win. But I think when Dr. Ford came out, it opened up the floodgates for people to now take this as a personal fight, said Sarsour. that's
1: very interesting because she that's clearly a tactic to make it a personal thing like to make whatever that's very interesting. Cause they, and I noticed that all the time is they only focus on the personalities. They never focus on the issues, but it makes it very clear that they mean to accomplish something. So Jussie Smollett is definitely the embodiment of something. I really still have not fully cracked the code on what he is the embodiment of because that's a complicated one. But he's the embodiment of something. And I guess uh, Trump is the embodiment of the stereotype that I, I noticed when I moved to L.A. years and years ago. I guess it was in the Bush era. And I I ran into somebody from Texas there, and I had just moved from Texas, I think. And the guy and his wife were like, mocking, I might've told you this before, mocking people who had like chains on their wallets. They were like really mocking them. And I was so shocked. I was like, aren't liberals supposed to be like non-judgmental and tolerant, whatever. And I, and I didn't care. I mean, I didn't even realize that was a stereotype until she mentioned it. And I just figured it was like, whatever, if you're on a motorcycle or I don't know, riding a horse, I don't know why they would, you'd put a chain on it. To keep people from stealing? I don't know. Um, but anyway, she could see that I was, like, put off. She was misunderstanding why. And she said to her husband, you know, you got to watch it around people from Texas. And I was like, <laughs> what? So they – uh so I could see the possibility – now, Trump isn't that stereotype at all. But he – but the MAGA hat people, they act like are out there marauding the inner city – you know what I mean they're coming in from the from the farms and and laying in wait at two in the morning for Jesse Smollett but Trump maybe well this makes sense to me because it it just adds a dimension to why the news is always so personal I always figured it was a distraction a diversion something that make you emotional something that has a kind of sour uh soap opera kind of narrative to it but now, the way she's talking about it, it's clear that it makes the fight personal, but it also perfon- personifies an issue which helps you love or hate. You know, it's kind of hard to love yeah. or hate something on a piece of paper. But a per- like you look at Blasey Ford and people really hated her and people really hated Kavanaugh because she did that like baby girl thing and like all that stuff that was like and she was full of it and lying. You know what I mean? Like it was a yeah. way to love or hate her. And, and that made you
0: like you already said, none of it to be none of it needed to be about any of this stuff. They could have actually attacked Kavanaugh based on his past if they really wanted him to not win
1: right. That's why the Mueller thing drives me crazy because everyone has to ignore that the only Russian bots in the world <laughs> who affect U.S. elections that there's evidence of are democratic operatives. Why is Fox not mentioning that?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: You just have to ignore the real facts, and you and that's how it's so clear both sides are in on it.
0: Yeah, divide and conquer. Doctor Ford came out and opened up the floodgates for people to now take this as a personal fight. Said Sarsour, who added that every time a survivor told their story, uh, the crowd would respond with "We believe you." We believe you, which they're, you know, kind of lukewarm in responding to that nowadays when someone accuses Joe Biden of sniffing their hair. We should
1: believe her or him. Well, who who are we I lukewarm on?
0: Huh? I, well, people are kind of like, well, Joe's just Joe. And that's just he's oh, very. Yeah, they're definitely aggressively compassionate. Is that what they're saying or something like affectionate. Yeah. He's aggressively affectionate?
1: they're letting him get away with it for like, this is definitely a psyop start to finish. Um, They're, uh, they're probably crazy uncling him to, to kind of like be out with the old Lieberman, Pelosi, Biden, and then in with the new earth, earth mother, AOC or Stacey Abrams, you know, they're just, they're kind of like, relieving the old guard which folds into what it seems like the hashtag me too thing was doing to hollywood but it's funny one thing i want to not let slide is that when i i read on the air the other day the wikipedia the first paragraph of the wikipedia entry on totalitarianism because it was so apropos to what what's going on now about surveillance and mass media and all of that. And one of the things that was in there was that it was marked by personality cults, personality cults. So you don't you can't focus on the issues. You focus on the personalities. And that's this also plays into
0: that. Absolutely. It's like a TV drama for Sarsour. Ford's allegations became a chance to conduct a conversation about sexual assault. We saw that this was an opportunity to not only stop the nomination of someone who is conservative and anti-women, but it was actually an opportunity once and for all for us to have a high-level conversation about believing survivors. Christine Ford gave us that opportunity, she said. Believing survivors, what does that even mean? You know,
1: it's very, very important that she. there was no evidence that it had to be a matter of faith. Like that's very clear because the Blasey Ford thing, if it were real, then you could just prove it and everybody would accept it. But yeah, this it made it clear that believing I mean it's like a religion, that, you know. It's, that,
0: that, for it is a religion because if you're a survivor, then something happened to you. With a slogan of believing survivors, it takes you it's, something.
1: It's believing that, accusers, is what it really is.
0: That's exactly what it is. It's a mind F that guilty by
1: accusation. Yep. And that is so empowering because it, it absolutely, it is the stepping stone. It's the softening up. It's the predictive programming for a, an abandonment of the rights, the really important fifth and sixth amendment rights
0: yeah and they drilled into people's heads by repeating these slogans that get sticky in their minds and they they stay there and believing survivors believe well, I don't believe her. you mean you well, I just don't, don't think her. she's a survivor, yeah, exactly no, she's like, oh, she's a survivor. no, you don't believe survivors, and that's what it becomes in the way that they react it It's serious. this stuff is mind control, it's brain programming,
1: yeah, for sure.
0: The crowds and hearts suddenly got bigger and more passionate with large, seemingly spontaneous actions breaking out in the hallways and offices of key senators. This is something Bernays talks about a lot. You set it in motion, and then the the followers will will model their behavior after you and start doing it themselves. He actually said something almost just like that when he talked about the cigarette demonstration he yeah. did. Mm-hmm. In Flames of freedom or whatever it was.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Torches, liberty torches. Torch, yeah, yeah,
0: there you go. Senators eventually called in Capitol police escorts to avoid FaceTime with the protesters. This has been inspiring work for Gordon, who has done organizing work since since 2013. I think we've had to bro- hold
1: on. I still call BS on the fact that anything got out of control in this in the chamber. Right. You're talking about where the Senate was. Yeah, it's so controlled. When I was marching against Obamacare, repeatedly i mean you couldn't get anywhere near those buildings when there were senators and congressmen inside
0: these were get arrested protests the cops were i know but
1: how are they getting in
0: if they wanted to get arrested
1: but how were they getting that close i'm they sure they were just...
0: letting them in If that's yeah that'd be my guess
1: yeah so i mean that's the thing they're, they're they stage this stuff however they want to allow it and people on both sides are allowing this stuff to control the story.
0: Yeah, this got Kavanaugh elected or not? Yeah,
1: right, right. Confirmed.
0: I think our tactics have gotten through to folks. With well, the last two actions in terms of bird dogging, they really love that bird dogging. That's Bird dogging is also what Bob Kramer was talking about or his, his assistant was talking about in the Veritas videos where they would send people to the yeah. front of rally to try to get punched in the face. Yeah, so yeah, got-
1: yeah. And Jane... What was her name? Jan Sikowski. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Another victory is honestly the folks who are coming out every day. There are new faces. So this is growing the party. There are new folks showing up feeling emboldened to tell their story. And now this is me saying this, feeling emboldened to use more aggressive tactics to people that are being dehumanized in their mind. Right. And crowds, crowds. Yeah. Crowds (laughs) the individual. You are unable to behave Truly as an individual, when you are swept up in mob mentality, the mirror neurons and the energy, it overwhelms people and it becomes very difficult not to go along with what that crowd is doing. You ever be at a baseball game or a football game? People around you are cheering. People are doing the wave. It's physically difficult not to do those things. And when you care about an issue or you're made to care about an issue such as this and you're made to think that it's life or death, then you're going in rabid. I mean, right.
1: That's the thing. You're always made to think everything is life and death. Those emails you get from these people are so hilarious. Like, this is the most important moment that has ever existed. If we do not get what we need right now, everyone's going to die tomorrow, and not just die, die an awful, excruciating death.
0: So, can I count on you to to give a dollar, ten (laughs)
1: dollars? Yes, right.
0: I got one that said. Bernie Sanders has contacted you. Pelosi's contacted you. It listed like six people who they said had contacted me, telling me how dire it was, telling me how much money they needed. And I know that only one group had contacted me. It was all the DCCC, the Democratic, uh, I can't remember the full name, but it's one of those organizations raising money, but they changed their email heading. So it looks like it's coming from it. So you're getting emails all day. Looks like it's coming from different people. They're all coming from the same organization asking for money, pretending to be different people each time.
1: Right. I wonder what they want all the money for. I mean,
0: this is the game right here. Every time there's one of these events on television where both sides are fighting, I'll tell you who wins. Both sides up there <laughs> are in. Yeah. I'm yeah. getting emails out the wazoo every time, and they say the same thing. Right, right. They're all con artists. I mean, it's a bunch of charlatans. Growing those numbers will only help, since the organizations keep detailed records for future use," Sarsour said. They're also getting these people's information and their patterns of behavior, and they have them committed to things. So this is national organization of of mind controlled slaves that they've created, and they have their data as well, which they collect from Facebook. Oh
1: yeah! Oh my gosh! I just read that. I was reading about Twenty Three and Me, the founder and CEO. Uh, is Sergey Brin's wife? Who is that? The guy who uh founded Google.
2: Oh. And like oh, was trained really? by DARPA.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: I it looks like they got divorced a couple of years ago, but yeah. whatever. She probably wasn't really the the brains behind it anyway. I mean, just only because he's so deeply darpa and he was in that Mark Zuckerberg high school program for uh studying ultra bright youth. So, I mean, obviously he's the chosen one. Yeah. but Yeah. That's 23 and me. Isn't that freaking hilarious?
0: Crazy. So, so anyway,
1: speaking of data,
0: talking about the data, the information they gathered helped them decide to charter a bus of protesters to DC from Philadelphia and helped manage resources to fly people in from Maine or Alaska, two key States in the confirmation fight. So they're paying for these people, paying for them to come in. Whenever you would say that, People in the media would say, oh, that's not true. They're saying right here that it is and that they use data to figure out which people needed the money and needed rides. Both the Women's March and the CPD have faced intense criticism along the way. The Conservative National Review wrote about them casting suspicion on the groups for their ties to billionaire Democratic donor George Soros, the ever-present boogeyman for the right. It's a charge Gordon takes with a grain of salt. We are civil people. We, don't, we do not want to block hallways, but we will if we have to. But to get arrested over and over again for just wanting to talk and hear our voices is something that I think is just a little bit ludicrous. See, now that's a lie because I know for a fact that these were get arrested protests because I got the emails. Uh, and I saw the huh, police officers wow. talking yeah. about how, do you want to get arrested? Yes. Do you want to get arrested? <laughs> yeah. Amy Schumer made a big deal about getting arrested. She was asked politely by a police officer if she wanted right. to get arrested, and she said Yes. <laughs> Because it gives them street cred. Lenin (laughs) talks about that. And for the Falunsky, they say spending a few weeks in jail or a night in jail is a good way to decompress and think about your your next direct action. It also gives you cred among your followers because you're persecuted. You're a political prisoner.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, of course. You're a martyr.
0: Yeah, exactly. The fact is that we're not being heard, and so we have to escalate this tactic. But the result is – that we're getting through to those critics and those folks who are just voicing their opinion. You can go ahead and voice it, but we're going to keep continuing to do do these tactics because we're getting through as a nonprofit. Oh wait, that's the end of the article. I was about to read the advertisements,
1: (laughs) which I'm sure is relevant to fundraising.
0: Donate $10 or you'll die in 10 minutes. Exactly. So yeah, I just thought that was a really telling article. Yeah. Get some light on how they. I mean, they
1: tell they they tell what their tactics are, and I've got uh, a tactic from the right, which actually has a couple of layers here, and this is local to Georgia, but it's relevant as a where we're headed. It's this article is from the AJC. Georgia House Republicans file bill to create state journalism ethics board. It says, a group of House Republican lawmakers filed legislation this week to create a state journalism ethics board to develop, quote, canons of ethics for journalists in Georgia. Now, I would just say that's well-established, and this is what is, with all these calls for regulation of speech and every other thing, what people never, ever talk about, seems like to me, and this is one reason I'm... Another reason I'm confident the MAGA hat kids were for real is because they're actually filing a defamation suit because Mm -hmm. these attacks, anything that's untrue and damaging, uh, they you can file defamation for damages. And then people have to pay, which is why I remember the day it dawned on me that this just isn't – people aren't doing it anymore is when Shep Smith said that Putin had just murdered 300 people by shooting down, I guess personally – m h seventeen, I guess the one that was over Ukraine, the Malaysian airline was over you went down over Ukraine. And I remember thinking if if Putin were here, or, he could if it really did him damage if people believed it. it's like when we were listening to a congress or I was listening to a congressional hearing where the guy was talking to I guess the CEO of Google, maybe YouTube, yeah, Google, and he was saying how. The, the, the YouTube videos that showed Huma Abedin and Hillary Clinton with fangs dripping with blood, sacrificing children needed to be purged and gotten ahead of. And all the guys like, yes, yes, we're working at work. And I'm thinking if it's not clearly satire, And it's and he was saying how what a horrible toll it's taking on them and blah, blah, blah. If it's not satire and they are suffering and there are damages and it defames them, they would have a cause of action and they should pursue it. That would be a deterrent. But then there are cases where they will say you can't have a cause of action like that. So you can see you can back it up a little bit where the courts have. I almost think Alex Jones was one of those people, but. I can't remember the exact case, but it was somebody was trying to sue for that for being defamed, and the perp was not. They were stopped from suing him because he had like this First Amendment right because of the issue or the location or whatever. know
0: what well, happened with Marie Daniels also when she tried to sue Trump. What happened? I think she tried to sue Trump for defamation, and it was dismissed. Like quickly
1: i don't know i thought when she what she had sued him for and it was dismissed i thought she was i thought it was the correct thing to shut her down i can't remember exactly what it was but i remember thinking yeah she shouldn't breach contract i don't know it was something different but but I, but if you, if someone defames you, I, you should be able to sue them. The, most of these things are torts. They don't require, we have a common law system where if, if you are motivated to sue people and keep people in line by these huge damages, that's what it's for. It's in order that you don't need to have statutory law on every possible permutation of injury. They have precedents, they have cases, and then you know what the law is after the case, and you're deterred because of the big judgment. That's how it works, and it works. You don't need this stuff. Uh, it goes on to say the measure was sponsored by Rep. A- Andy Welch, Republican for McDonough, a lawyer who has expressed frustration with what he saw as bias from a TV reporter who asked him questions about legislation recently. He said he thinks the profession could benefit by setting ethical standards for all journalists to follow. Five other Republicans signed on to sponsor the bill. Uh, he said he was going to be resigning soon, but uh, his bill, this bill, will remain alive for consideration during the 2020 Senate session. And the bill would create an independent board with the chancellor of the university system of Georgia forming a body to appoint members. So that's a government organization. The board would create, quote, canons of ethics, issue advisory opinions, develop voluntary accreditation, set up a system for investigating complaints and. Advisory section- opinions? Yes, I know. Like what does that mean? Because there's a, a thing that I sign up to journalists resource. I believe it's run by Harvard and they come and tell you all the, uh, the, what, how, one the latest email I got tells you how to, digest and spin the college admissions story and then it tells you about you know it handpicks research and everything and then so everybody's reading from the same memos and you and i are getting them now (laughs) i know so it says uh you could sanction accredited violators of the canons so if approved the bill would also mandate that anyone interviewed by the media would be able to request and receive copies of photographs and audio and video recordings taken by reporters and photographers. They would have to be provided free, even though state and local governments are allowed to charge for copies of any documents it provides. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Uh, it, it would be if they refuse to provide this, they would be subject to lawsuit and civil penalty. Now. Uh, it's. It says, in calling for subjects of interviews to get access to photographs, audio, and video recordings, Welch is setting a higher standard than he and other members of the General Assembly are under. The General Assembly long ago exempted itself from the Georgia Open Records Act, which applies to all other governmental entities in the state, and only a month before the start of this legislative session, the state court was trying to block a group from getting legislative records on how a bill got passed in 2012. Now, that Infuriates me because in my opinion, all cameras, all legislation, everything that goes on in government belongs to us. They should, we should have complete privacy and they should have from them and they should have complete transparency to us because they exist solely as a function of our permission that they co-opt or share in our rights and they use our tax money. It's outrageous to me that there's any kind of secrecy there. Uh The, no, the that is outrageous.
0: Who, what did you say the name of the person that
1: – It's – the, the, the guy who put the bill forward is uh Andy Welch from McDonough. He's a Republican. And then I'll just read what – The, uh, president of the Georgia First Amendment Foundation said, which is kind of funny to me, unless it's the First Amendment of the Georgia Constitution, which it may well be. I'd have to, I should keep a copy of that on my desk. But the First Amendment clearly says, Congress shall pass no law. So I think it's read that the 14th Amendment makes the First Amendment apply to the states as well. I, I'm never, I was never a big fan of that. I really am a strict believer in states' rights. But this, uh, Richard Griffiths, the president of the Georgia First Amendment Foundation said, first, I thought it was an April Fool's joke, but this is clearly an effort to rein in those who have been scrutinizing what's been happening at the legislature. In this country, there is a First Amendment which reads, in part, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or of the press, and it applies to the Georgia legislature. It's the kind of proposal you'd expect to surface in a banana republic, not the peach state.
0: Well, That reminded me of something that I read about, and I'm wondering if they're connected. I'm trying to find out right now, but I would bet that there's some sort of connection. A few days ago, last week, Google launched a program: Google partners to fund new local media sites. Google uh, McClatchy (laughs) Google (laughs) partners to launch local news outlets in. Underserved U.S. cities. So they're trying to reach the rural (laughs) areas to get the propaganda out to them, just like they're trying to get the 5G out to rural areas so you can get the propaganda out to, out to them quicker.
1: I noticed, I've been like, what to watch out for, Ing, for at least a couple of years now that the rural places are in the crosshairs. You are on top of that. Yes. Thank you. I was way way ahead of it. it. And the popular vote thing folds into that. But I also read something that was, I, I was made aware of because of when you were saying how they were going after Sinclair, it caught my eye that there was a study done, I might have shared it with you, might not have, that as, as local media outlets consolidated into nationally owned companies, which I remember when that started happening, Gannett and I guess Sinclair and all that, you know what I mean? Like, used to be you'd have a local newspaper. Now there's a company of local newspapers, but it's all the same company from coast to coast, Gannett, for example. And the study said that the nationalizing of local news increases divisiveness, that you have more rigid polarization and intolerance, and there's less and less gray area, which is funny because the actual policies converge. The actual policies, there's like the, the left, the anti-war left has been silenced and the fiscal conservative right has been silenced. So they're, they're converging. This Ralston must, I, I, I think Garland has issues with Ralston too. It said, uh, the lawmakers are, uh, have expressed unhappiness with the AJC, which revealed that House Speaker David Ralston, a lawyer on numerous occasions used legislative privilege laws. To delay court cases for his clients, sometimes for years. Wow. And the other thing is, and I think it's still true in Congress is that these guys, I believe they're allowed to trade in stocks and bonds while being privy to upcoming legislation and having a sense of how it's going to come out. And it's, it's yeah. very, people underestimate what an impact that has. But if you go back and read the report from Iron Mountain, which however much you want to think it's stylized or dead accurate. I don't know. But one of the examples it uses, it says we now, and this is from the sixties, we have computer models that can tell you how a slight change in the draft law would affect real estate prices in lower Manhattan. I mean, that's what they were doing in the sixties and the laws were less pervasive now. So I just feel like it's such a, a temptation to corruption, this stuff.
0: Here's what the Google article says, which is pretty funny. They're working together to, on this experiment, to launch these digital-only outlets to provide local news in U.S. communities that are currently news deserts, is what they call it. Besides providing (laughs) the news to these communities, which the companies haven't yet named, the idea is to test business approaches that could revive local journalism. And, then it goes on to say, and this is the best part. Google will provide the money and won't be involved in the newsrooms, says Craig Foreman. Yeah, right.
1: Like Reed Hoffman and New Knowledge. Yeah, getting Roy me Moore
0: money. down. Here's $300 and million. million dollars. We'll stay out of your hair.
1: They, they can stay out of their hair, but what happens is, and I, I think it was an Ethiopian guy was telling me this about foreign aid. You know, how we act like we're, we give all this money and it never occurs to anybody what the money or I never hear anybody talking about it what the money is really used for. And what this guy said is it's really just used to give, they give the money to local people who are willing to, or naturally gravitate towards the policies we want. So it's a hundred percent political. It's not like food, it's food for that guy and his family, but it's, it is a hundred percent political. It is just spreading the money around to the people who are sympathetic to the policies that you like. So you don't have to, Control it or even pick your own people. You just have to set up the culture and it will be self-perpetuating. I mean, you just have to probably dip in and tweak it once in
0: a while. And they can pitch it to them like this. They could say the mo- the news is moving so quickly that we're going to make it easy for you. And we set up this Google news-, news Initiative program, which is something they started like a year and a half ago. Where we're going to provide for you these simplified talking points that you can easily deliver to, to your community so you can keep up with the fast pace. And so they won't yeah. even have to do any work. They'll just, they'll just become puppets.
1: Right. And that's what, I mean, obviously the big news generators, the Associated Press, Reuters, and, um, what's the other one? It's AP, Reuters. Maybe Bloomberg, but there's another one and, uh, they just generate this stuff and they censor it. So, and then plus the stuff that I'm getting from journalist resource is just an amalgamation of that stuff. Nothing is outside the box and it's mostly research. But as we know, the research that you choose to share or, or how like the research quote that demonstrated that conspiracy theorists were more prone to committing petty (laughs) i mean you know that i realize now what i guess it was i think it was mark twain met in uh titling i I believe it was a title something lies damn lies and statistics yeah because they just they convince you of something that may or may not be true you don't get closer to the truth but you think you get closer to the truth
0: that's a fantastic book, by the way. There's also a book. Oh, called- is it?
1: Is it his book? Yeah, I knew he wrote something. I Mark remember- Twain's
0: book. It's a book. Oh, it's by- not. No, Mark Twain might have said that. I think he did. Yeah, he definitely he said it. He Wrote a book based on it, and he goes through how people lie with statistics. It's a fantastic book.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. So there you go. What else we got?
0: I want to play something I heard earlier today. That's pretty interesting. This was on the website Quartz Quartz dot com, which is very biased. And it's growing in popularity. It's kind of a tech news website. They had an article today about the new genderless Siri-type character. And I'm going to play some audio, and it will explain the whole thing for you.
2: Hi, I'm Q, the world's first genderless voice assistant. Think of me like Siri or Alexa, but neither male nor female. I'm created for a future where we are no longer defined by gender, but rather how we define ourselves. My voice was recorded by people who neither identify as male nor female, and then altered to sound gender neutral, putting my voice between 145 and 175 hertz, a range defined by audio researchers. But for me to become a third option for voice assistants, I need your help. Share my voice with Apple, Amazon, Google, and Microsoft. And together we can ensure that technology recognizes us all. Thanks for listening, Q.
0: Thanks a lot, Q. Nice. He was hashtag me tooing Amazon, Google, and whoever for leaving the genderless AI voice out. That's unbelievable. For a future when we are no longer defined by our gender.
1: Well, it's definitely something that is being used as a weapon right now. I saw an article about it, it. It said just recently, I tweeted it this week, LGBTQ plus person, trans person, uh, abused, made fun of, bullied, whatever in this basically shit kicker town, <laughs> you know, like, To go vulgar, to go low, like there you go. But that, like, MAGA hat country, you know what I mean? And, I mean, MAGA hat country needs to be abolished. This is where it started. It started like, we, we have Trump because we have country. And if we didn't have any country, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be in this mess. But they, but I also feel like the transgender issue is used for uh, so that there's surveillance in bathrooms. Like I'm convinced that's what it's for. So that there's no, or like maybe the Blasey Ford thing, there should just be cameras everywhere. And I see articles saying camera in a bathroom, camera in an Airbnb bedroom. It was not on, but it was there. We're just, we're becoming aware They're of everywhere. Family. I yeah, saw but, an
0: article earlier yeah. about like 50 women had their pregnancies secretly filmed because they were trying to catch someone who was stealing medicine. So I guess a doctor. Yeah, pregnancy medicine is the birth. Medicine, so they secretly filmed all of these births.
1: Oh, that's come on. Yeah. That's outrageous. It's totally. Now, outrageous. Now you should be able to sue them for that. But it'll probably prompt some kind of regulation. But in reality, they should be, they should sue for that. But I feel like the stories are just there to kind of soften you up, predictive program you so that you start going into the bathroom and think there's, there's a camera in here. And then once you think it's in there, then they can put them in there.
0: Yeah. I think that it's hilarious that people put tape over their webcam. Zuckerberg does that. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> and he, as, as though that's the one thing they didn't think of. Tape! If only we had thought of tape, we could see them. They can see through walls. <laughs> people are uh,
1: I don't even know where you would put the tape on your phone.
0: Yeah. The, yeah you're, good and point. they're in
1: your TV now. I mean, and I don't the, know if they're I in the...
0: they hear you anyway.
1: Yeah. They're going to be in all the TVs. All of them. Did you see the video of the Arizona toddler where they literally broke down the door to get this kid to the hospital? I believe that the
0: I heard about it. I did Pediatrician.
1: Didn't... So this is what happened. The guy they have this. Scene opens with a cop knocking on the door. Nobody answers. Nobody answers. It's like this goes on from maybe eleven thirty at night to one thirty in the morning. And the guy's knocking on the door, knocking on the door. It's totally dark, whatever. And he finally calls the guy. He he goes back to the car. He calls the nurse at the doctor's office. So obviously she was on standby because there would be no way to reach her. And he said, you're familiar with this case and what happened, whatever. And she's like, well, the kid had a fever and we wanted, we thought the kid should go to the hospital. And the parents didn't agree. So they get through to the father at home and they say to him, we need to get your son to the hospital. And he said, you don't because his fever broke. He's fine. And that was what they were worried about. And he's passed it. And they yeah. said, well, we have DCS here. Like you have to come with us. A new law was passed where we can do this. And, and sometimes new laws get passed. They get incentives.
0: Where like, was it again? Arizona.
1: Arizona. Mm Chandler, Arizona, I think. So it goes back and forth for a while. The guy said, look, all three of my kids are asleep. They're all like under the weather. And my, uh, whatever, just go away. And the guy said, we're not going away. We're taking the kids. Like the kid is fine. So they end up breaking the door down, getting the guys like, does anybody have any guns? He says, yeah, I've got lots of guns. Nobody's holding a gun. But you know, I live in the middle of nowhere or whatever. I'm in Arizona. I've got my guns. Where's your wife? I don't know. I was, she's probably with the baby. I really don't know because I was asleep in the room with my daughters and everybody's sick. So they took him away. They took, he's like, well, you can't take both of us away. So I don't know. Maybe they just took the kid or what, but the article, which I think was in Vox, maybe it was in Vice, but I'm almost certain it was in Vox. The title of the article, which absolutely does not come out in the video, and A, I would really like to know where that video came from. It was the cop cam. I believe we should have unlimited live streaming from every single camera that we as taxpayers pay for and they as law enforcement do not get individual warrants for. That's our data or they can't have it either. So they either have to have a warrant or it's public in my estimation. So, uh, I don't know where this came from. So obviously it's meant, I believe it's meant to spark some kind of subconscious message or debate or whatever. And the title, which was not in the video at all was that unvaccinated toddler. Uh, you know, the door was knocked down to so grab an unvaccinated toddler yeah. and that the parents were afraid of bringing the toddler to the emergency room because he was unvaccinated. And that, that I didn't see any evidence of that. So I call into question, it may be true, it may not be true, but it's obviously an, uh, look, you could get your kid killed <laughs> or like these people are reckless. But to me, the answer is at that point, then it, it you will not bring your kids to the doctor even. You're not going to let anybody know. And that's, yeah, you're the kind not of tell thing, yeah, when you pass laws and I remember this from law school, when you pass laws or adjudicate a case as a judge, you, you have to think about the incentives you're setting up. You can't, and I'm not saying creating policy, but like you can't do something that creates a danger to people. That's why kidnapping is not, I think they, they stop kidnapping from being a capital offense. They can't kill you for kidnapping someone because people would kill the witness they'd be like well if kidnapping and murder are the same penalty death and you're an alive witness i better kill you so i have a better chance of getting away yeah so when it sets up perverse incentives it's not a good law yeah and and the incentive i got out of that wasn't vaccinate your kids it's don't ever (laughs) ask for help
0: yeah that's crazy and they're doing this at least we're hearing stories about it maybe they've been doing it all along, like there's another story today. A judge issued a ruling that a kid who refused to get a chicken pox va- vaccination is not allowed to go back to school. So the kid was challenging. So what college. are
1: people worried about?
0: I guess they don't want the kids getting chickenpox.
1: But who's going to get chicken pox?
0: I don't know. The- I they're showing up in hazmat suits if you don't have a vaccination. Yeah. But
1: the only people who are at risk are people who chose not to vaccinate, right? I mean, the vaccinations work, do they not? <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so right. what are you
1: worried about? And chickenpox, the chickenpox. Uh, uh, yeah,
0: vaccinations work.
1: Yeah. So the vaccine, the the chickenpox is the one vaccination that I absolutely would not give my kids. if i had it to do over again because it does not protect you forever. So you, are then vulnerable as an adult to things that are much worse or to getting chicken pox as an adult, which is much worse. So I wouldn't do that. Plus there's this theory I read about, which may be fact, I don't know, but about this like secondary immune system, which helps our bodies recognize and eliminate cancer. And it's, it's tuned up or activated in childhood when kids have high fevers, like your body, like kind of, it's like, educates your body somehow. I mean, I have no way of evaluating if that's true or not. But if if suppressing childhood illnesses has an impact on our ability to be independently healthy as adults, that would be a perverse incentive for big pharma to want that. It's like a win-win for them. They want, you know, they sell a lot of chemo. I'm not saying yeah. they're doing anything wrong. I'm just saying it's an incentive to them, and they're insulated against liability for vaccines. So RFK is doing a bunch of stuff on this. RFK Jr., Robert F. Kennedy's son, and I just I can't figure out if he's like just another Kennedy who likes to play with fire. <laughs> an anti right? He seems I don't. He certainly wants to question the vaccination mantra.
0: They're but, hitting anti-vaxxers hard. Right I know. Now.
1: But I just wonder if RFK – like if the Kennedys have learned their lessons or if some yeah. if he's following in the footsteps of the people who get themselves killed.
0: It's interesting. He's a Democrat, and I know some people who are progressives, very, very progressive, on board with all of the programming, totally mind-controlled in every other aspect, but are anti-vaxxers. And this – current wave of attacks against anti-vaxxers it's got to be really really conflicting them because everybody and everyone who they've supported and been on board with hating trump all the stuff for the past two years have all suddenly turned against them they'll come they'll they'll pivot i'm wondering if they will give it
1: they will they will pivot to the leaders
0: i know it because
1: i remember people who people in the medical community i've noticed are not are not in favor of Obamacare generally, like any kind of socialized medicine. They just don't, I, I can talk to anybody about being, uh, against Obamacare in a medical office, but once Obama or being against socialized medicine and, but once Obama came into power and he was the one who advocated it, I saw like liberal after liberal give up on that issue. I mean I know liberals wanted socialized medicine, but people who were in the medical field saw like the more the government was involved, the less good it got yeah and that it wasn't working and that people you know because you get it's such a wedge issue it's well, the
0: back right now, aren't they The or indispensable
1: they wedge issue. yeah, so that's the thing like in England it's the indispensable wedge issue the way abortion and gun control are here. the Supreme Court stuff is here and now they're trying to introduce that here. I guess it's just the abortion and gun rights things are getting too long in the tooth or they're about to go away. You know, abortion settled and maybe gun rights are on their way out.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, they have a cycle. It's like seasonal, like holidays. It's like a Rolodex of issues that they – because they keep the issues fresh. Solinsky talks about this. You have to change up the issues to continue to energize – the bases that you're building because they will get dull and bored with the same issues. So you got to continue through different issue after different issue. Once the one, uh, the previous one has worn down a little bit and then yeah, they bring well, it back refreshed a few months later.
1: Yeah. Getting Obamacare passed made it a, uh, a permanent, yeah, a, a permanent wedge issue. Whereas before it was just theoretical, but when you see how effective it is in England, you can, I just don't think they could let that 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 one slide.
0: All right, is it me or you?
1: It's you. It's you.
0: This one's quick. No AI in humor. R2 D two walks into a bar, doesn't get the joke. That's the headline. That's the title of this article. And the article is about a robot. They are trying to program robots to be comedians and they can <laughs> tell jokes that they mine from humor databases. On the internet, but the robots don't get the jokes, and – here, I'll read some of this stuff to you. Artificial intelligence will never get jokes like humans do. This is at the University of Texas A&M that they are studying this. In themselves, they have no need for humor. They completely miss the context of it, and uh, context is very important in humor. And creative language and humor in particular is one of the hardest areas for computational intelligence to grasp. And it's because it relies so much on real world knowledge, background knowledge, and common sense knowledge. And a computer doesn't have these real world experiences to draw from. So it doesn't understand the context of it. And they feel that studying this so and if they can develop AI that understands humor, they will have developed the most sophisticated type of AI because this is the most challenging thing for AI to understand. That Oregon, right. State, Oregon State University computer scientist Heather Knight created a comedy performing robot named Ginger, to help her design machines that better interact with and respond to humans. She said, as it turns out, um, most people, they kind of appreciate the robot's uh, self-effacing humor. Ginger, the robot, does a bit about Shakespeare and machines, asking, if you prick me in my battery pack, do I not bleed alkaline fluid? In reference to the merchant of of Venice. Venice, (laughs) I think that one might get lost on, um, (laughs) they're not quite relatable enough. Humor and artificial intelligence are growing fields for academics. Some computers can generate puns. It's most basic humor because it's based on similar words, but after that, they kind of fall flat. (laughs) All right. Now, this is the really interesting part of this story. A comment that one of the people studying it has. They tested the robots, and during the initial test, when the system made jokes, they made them at the wrong time and in the wrong way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We know that humor, at least good humor, relies on nuance and on timing, and these are very hard to decipher by the automatic system. That's why humor is going to be key in future turning tests, the ultimate test of machine intelligence, which is to see if an independent evaluator can tell if it is interacting with a person or a computer. So that's interesting, the humor is the way there. Oh, that is interesting, because
1: what... I think the most important thing about humor is that it's unexpected. It actually breaks the pattern of norms that you're expecting.
0: Yes.
1: So you, I think pattern recognition, which for sure they can grasp, but then in what way to break the pattern would be difficult. You could do opposite, I guess, but
0: yeah. So here, here's how the, they conclude the article. There are good reasons to have artificial intelligence to try and learn humor It makes machines more relatable, especially if you can get them to understand sarcasm. That also may aid with automated translations of different languages, he said. But Texas A&M's Hempelman isn't so sure that's a good idea. Teaching AI systems humor is dangerous because they may find it where it isn't, and they may use it where it's inappropriate, Hempelman said, Maybe bad AI will start killing people because it thinks it's funny. Oh,
1: my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. That is funny. See?
0: That is actually funny. It would be ironic for sure.
1: Yeah. And maybe that would be the way that uh, you, if that's the way to figure out what's AI and what isn't, you surely don't want them to be able to defeat it.
0: No, we don't. But yet they're still trying.
1: Of course, of course, of course. Obviously.
0: Another part of the article talks about one of the people who's who's doing the study, one of the scientists, they do stand-up comedy. And (laughs) when they told their parents that they did it, she said that her parents were excited because she would be in a profession that robots can't make (laughs) (laughs) up.
1: That's a good point. I always thought that about being like a masseuse or something, but
0: a masseuse it just destroys someone's back when it oh up. yeah so we got robot priests judges robot judges yeah robot judges robot lawyers robot anchor people whether people robot anchor people sex, sex workers sex, obviously. obviously sex robots maybe the sex robots are dating the robot anchor people i don't know but there's yeah. also i saw robot basketball players that basically <laughs> never miss three-pointers Standing at 6'10", probably 3,000 pounds. Hard to box out on the block there. You know who could beat them? Who's that? Michael Moore. Michael Moore is the only person with that three-point line that he could shoot. (laughs) These robots, I, I watched it, and it's funny because the robot, the headline says, robot can't dunk, but it can hit threes better than Seth Curry. And I'm like, so you're describing every NBA team's best white guy. Is what you're describing is the white oh, men, and they, get, they can shoot the threes, oh, but they, they made the robot black. It's a giant black robot. And it's just, I mean, mean,
1: some robots should be black and maybe even like colors they
0: Specifically, made it black because they're like, well, all these other robots are white, but I'm like, if you got a robot that can't dunk, you got to make it white. <laughs> that is
1: true. That is true, because really, the other robots are just going to be like, what's wrong with you? Well,
0: yeah, yeah. They're yeah. going to
1: get made fun of. They're definitely going to make a robot that can dunk, though. They just oh, have to yeah. give it, like, leaf spring legs or something.
0: There's going to be a competition. They might have already had it, or maybe it's at the championship game, between robots and real people shooting three-pointers. But these are a little bit different. These robots don't look like people. They're like like boxes that flip the ball up. This, this one oh, is made no by... Problem. Toyota. I don't know why Toyota is making a six foot ten, two thousand pound, three point <laughs> sharpshooter. I have no idea. It's two
1: thousand pounds.
0: So I'm just I can't
1: jump. When you
0: look at it, it just looks. True. I mean, it looks like it weighs a lot. <laughs> you don't want to see this. This guy.
1: You, know, you don't want to get a fight with him. Barreling down to the basket when you're standing. Yeah, I'm not head. taking a charge <laughs>
0: from this robot.
1: <laughs> On that note, there you go.
0: You got anything else?
1: I've got like fifteen things, so we'll save it for next time or this weekend. All
0: right. One more quick one. This right, one's no very, more. very quick because this was my favorite headline of, of yesterday. Naked police officer arrest naked fugitive. Okay. You solved the riddle? Naked police
1: officer. Uh the fugitive was someone he was engaging in coitus with?
0: Lincoln. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Possibly that they didn't include that in the article, but the police officer, the off-duty police officer, was at a sauna,
1: and somebody stole something.
0: No, he looked over, and the guy sitting naked on the other side of the sauna was a fugitive who goes to a sauna. Yeah, and he recognized he a Yeah, he recognized him. He got up, said, "Spread him." <laughs> took him
1: oh my goodness gracious! The
0: imagery. It's- the article says it declined to say how precisely the arrest had been made, but added that the officer did receive assistance from uniformed colleagues. I wonder <laughs> how the uniformed colleagues were made aware of it. Two uh-huh. people passing by and they see two naked dudes wrestling in a sauna.
1: <laughs> no, they were running down the street by then, right?
0: I just pictured them having like a, a brawl naked. and the-
1: Dude, I would not do that. I want nothing to do with that. I would work. have to be after my own family. <laughs> for me to be like, okay, this is, above, is worth that's it. That's
0: above the call of duty right there. You should get an award. He, uh, he should have his uniform on first before they pin it on him, but he should definitely get an award for that.
1: Yes. All right. So yes, we, we, um, I think we probably took a step back because I think it got a little glitchy, but. We're making this perfect. Let's just keep it simple and, uh, and we'll continue to post the WSB show on Wednesdays and the podcast on Thursdays on, uh, com is where I, where you have like the descriptions and everything, but you can find it anywhere that you want, that you listen to podcasts probably, don't you think? Like the, the on
0: pretty much all of the podcast platforms. Thank you for listening and thank you for everybody who has donated and continues to donate. We appreciate it. It helps us out greatly. And anybody who wants to help out, you can share the show with your friends. You can send it to somebody that you want us to um, try and crack their mind programming. Or you can <laughs> donate yourself at PayPal or Patreon. We appreciate all of it very, very much.
1: Until and next time. Later.
0: We'll talk to you soon.